listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm Rebecca Valentine, and I'm joined today by... Brandon Sinclair. And Marie D'Alessandri. So on Monday this week, uh, last week, by the time you're listening to this, I was minding my own business, sipping coffee, eating Cheerios, scrolling through Twitter before work, expecting a nice, uneventful week, when suddenly everyone's feeds start blowing up because Microsoft, seemingly out of nowhere, announced that it had acquired ZeniMax for an utterly wild $7.5 billion. Uh, this gives Microsoft, uh, Bethesda Game Studios, id Software, Arcane, Machine Games, Tango Gameworks, ZeniMax Online Studios, Alpha Dog, and Roundhouse Studios. Um, and that includes IPs like Fallout, Elder Scrolls, Doom, Dishonored, Wolfenstein, Evil Within, Prey, Rage, and upcoming titles Deathloop, Ghostwire Tokyo, and Starfield. Uh, phew! That's an acquisition. Um, and this occurred, mind you, the day before Xbox Series X and S pre-orders dropped. So that's a, I mean, that's a pretty big topic to canvas. I'd love, I'd love to talk about kind of all the implications of this acquisition, but, uh, preliminary thoughts. This is huge for Microsoft, truly. Yeah. Uh, I, I think this kind of gives them the, uh, the first party studio games, the system sellers that they, they really honestly seem to lack. Like I, I felt like Halo and Gears of War are are they still have their fan bases and they can still be commercially successful, but I, I don't think they can move the needle the way that they could ten or fifteen years ago. Um, but Elder Scrolls and to a lesser extent in, in my estimation Fallout, I think those are those are the the games that that would have people torn between uh, a PlayStation Five and an Xbox Series X. They're very much, uh, they're very much, with, with this Bethesda acquisition, um, they very much get a lot of variety in big IPs, right? Um, because you're right, Halo and Gears are both, you know, they're big franchises, but they're, they're kind of a pretty specific demographic, right? Like, there, there's a pretty specific corner of, and it's a big corner of the games market, I don't mean to downplay it at all, but if you, if you like that particular brand of shooty bang aliens and running around and doing that, then you're probably going to like both of those games. But if you don't like that, then there's really not an awful lot of big IPs on Xbox for you, right? Whereas, you know, Sony has like, I don't know, Uncharted and The Last of Us and all the, all the, uh, God of War, Horizon. Yeah, God, God of War. And they also kind of have this sort of, uh, sorry, what I'm trying to describe is they have they have an in with a lot of the Japanese studios, right? So there's there's a lot of um, RPGs, there's a lot of games that will come to PS4 or PS5 first, even if they'll eventually end up on both platforms. Um, so there's like a little more variety over there on Sony's side. But by picking this up and then combined with all of the the rest of their Xbox game studios, I mean this gives them like multiple really hard hitting giants that are not just, you know, big games, but they're big games that people play for a long time. I mean, what's the joke, right? Like, Skyrim is launched on everything, right? Because people keep buying it. Mm. Yeah, th- th- this move at this time, um, just before the start of a new generation, is like, like my, my gut feeling as soon as I saw the news was like, wow, this is an actual game changer. Even for me as, as a player, uh, I've always considered myself a PlayStation person. And all of a sudden I was like, hmm, Okay, maybe maybe there's something there. I mean, obviously there is something there, but I think it's truly a game game changer moment um, for for the industry as a whole. I think um, I don't know if I'm maybe overstating this, but I think it's pretty big. Um, then then past the the gut feeling reaction, 
then I thought it was quite interesting to see uh, the details of the deal unfold, uh, the exclusivity aspect, for instance. Uh, I know, Rebecca, you were quite uh, on top of things when it came to the announcement unfolding and how they explained the case-by-case exclusivity thing. Yeah, uh, so they... They basically came out and said that they were going to go ahead and honor the exclusivity commitments for Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo, which is that those, those games are coming, I believe, to PS5 first, uh, if I remember right on those. And then um, Phil Spencer said uh, to Bloomberg that future Bethesda titles would release on Xbox, PC, and other consoles on a case-by-case basis. So it's sort of weird, right? Like... Uh, Mm. Microsoft is now releasing two titles exclusively on PS5 at launch. (laughs) (laughs) It's not something I thought we would discuss or like not even something I imagined that could happen at any point. So it certainly is quite interesting. But I I really like this for, for Microsoft, really. Like it's really interesting to see how they're embracing things outside of their ecosystem and, um, how growth for them doesn't come just from the Xbox I was going to say Xbox box the Xbox <laughs> hardware I mean that'd be a that'd be a better less confusing name than the current yeah. it's, it's the name of the next Xbox one box. Come, come back and find <laughs> Xbox box X <laughs> they could do it don't 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 give them ideas like Bill that. Spencer if um, you're listening no please <laughs> um, so I lost track of what I was saying but um yeah, this is a pretty exciting move for, for the Xbox Game Pass, I guess, is what I was, uh, leading to, uh, how this, like, this gives them so much power, uh, and it makes Xbox Game Pass even more attractive, uh, than it was until now. Cause, like, why would you now spend, um, full price on a new, on a new game, new PS5 game, when you could just pay a monthly subscription, uh, on X- an Xbox Game Pass and have all these games at launch? For I mean, not for free, but like for just a monthly subscription, that is admittedly not that expensive. It is quite a bold move. This is um, this worries me, kind of because uh, I I I got a um, an album recommendation from my my brother uh, earlier this week, who like used to be in a band and do that kind of like trying to make a living off of it. Um, and he sent me a Spotify link because that's just the way that people consume music now. Because if you can pay 10 bucks a month and get all the music you can possibly want from anything, then that's all anyone really feels like they need. Um, and I, I, I don't subscribe to Spotify. So I, I found it on Bandcamp, which is like the, the artist friendly uh, website that actually, you know, pays, you know, most of the money goes directly to the artists, uh, compared to Spotify where you can do a quarter million streams or something and get pennies for it. And, and that's where I worry about video games headed with things like game pass ultimate, which I will admit, I I actually do have a subscription to for now. Um, but (laughs) This is, this is, I think, deeply troubling for indie developers in particular, because if, if this takes off, then, uh, the consumer, the consumer value proposition doesn't really change that much over time. People still look at it and they think, oh, I should really get that. That's a whole bunch of content for very little money. 
it makes sense for me. But once it becomes established the way like Spotify and Netflix have become established, then uh, the platform has so much more uh, power and information and leverage over the people that would like to be on that platform because it is such a, a major channel of distribution for, for consumers that they can, they can make the terms a lot less friendly than they might be right now. Like we talk to indie developers now and they're like, yeah, we launched into game pass and, and just having that agreement made sure that our, our console launches were going to be, you know, uh, profitable or at least break even like that's. And so, so we did it cause it's, you know, Hey, really, really easy decision there. Um, but going forward, like Microsoft might be willing to lose money on this right now uh, and spend 7.5 billion on Bethesda in order to establish itself in, in, in the, in this market and establish this sea change to the way people consume content. But if you, if you think that they're going to be as generous with the terms of, of everything, once they are the market leader, if, the, if their plan succeeds and takes root, um, I, I, well, I'm very skeptical of, of that. And, and I think that, um, it will create additional discoverability problems for developers who are already like all, that's already the, the do or die problem that they face. And then having a, a platform like Microsoft uh, and Game Pass Ultimate sort of being the ones to say, we'll feature these people, but not these people. We'll let these ones under our catalog, but not those. I think that will be um, really detrimental to to the to the indie scene if what you want is an indie scene with a breadth of content that can be financially viable. Yeah, it sort of uh, it sort of echoes the current. Well, maybe maybe less so the current now that Epic is you know trying to challenge them, but it it, it echoes the current Steam problem a little bit, right? Like Steam has become sort of the uh, ubiquitous place where you, you you have to launch your game on Steam if you're launching on PC and you're a smaller developer, right? Like you you have no in, unless you get a big pile of money for from Epic Games, which only a small handful do. You basically have to launch on Steam, or there's no chance your game is ever going to get found or paid for, right? Um, and so there there's kind of that problem, but then sort of combined with the fact that. We hear we hear now stories from developers who, you know, like you described, developers who get money from Xbox, but also developers who say, "Yeah, you know, I, I launched on Game Pass and it increased the overall like full purchase sales of my game on all platforms because it like more people saw my game, more people played it, they told their friends." Um, but how how long does that last, really? Right? And how many people does that actually affect? I I believe the people who tell me that that is true when they look at their data, obviously. Um, but I assume that that's not the same for absolutely everybody, um, especially as the service gets bigger, um, I would assume that it becomes increasingly more difficult to get noticed on it. And they do, I mean, they do rotate games out. So it's not like it's just this infinite library that just keeps growing and growing and growing. But I mean, I don't know, are they, would, would they ever take Skyrim off of Game Pass once it was on there, right? Like, I, I don't know. No, the first party stuff, I, th I think, stays there. But I mean, that, that, that uh, bonus effect of, hey, our full price games on other platforms are also now seeing a boost because of our inclusion of Game Pass and, and getting people talking about it. That goes away as all those people that are on other platforms uh, eventually see, oh, yeah, these games that I like keep coming to Game Pass and I keep buying them for full price on these other platforms. 
I'm just going to go and, and get something that'll let me, you know, subscribe to Game Pass and, and play it there. Like, the, it, it, it's a very temporary thing, I think, where that benefit can exist right now, but it goes away as Game Pass gets more successful. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you that it's concerning. I do think that the fact that Sony has sort of dug in its heels and said, I believe specifically told Chris, um, that so, a subscription model similar to Game... Like, a Game Pass model does not make sense for them. Um, I think that makes things a little less worrisome. I mean, I mean, still like, okay, maybe we should, you know, tap the brakes a little bit. But um, I, th- I think the fact that Sony and Nintendo are still out there, I mean, they are they are still massive competitors. It's not like Xbox is the one thing out there and there, there are no other options. You know, there are two other, um, you know, very large console competitors that have their own business models and their own libraries and their own properties that they are absolutely not going to give up. Um, and so I think having them out there with slightly different models um, and slightly different incentives to bring people onto their platform and to showcase games, I think that makes it a little less alarming than the Spotify model. Mm. But yeah, yeah, I think I agree with you. Well, I think if Microsoft takes off, though, then Sony just follows suit. Like they see, oh, okay, that's where things are headed, and they already have PlayStation Now. Um, they they already have a huge library of owned content that would be very compelling for people to to offer a a competing service. You know, it, it, it's like you've got Netflix and Disney Plus and Hulu and I don't even know how I'll say Yahoo Screen. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> but you have a bunch of competitors that pop up, and you you might get some benefit from being able to like go to this streaming service or that streaming service. But the fact is basically going to be that they are, they are people are across the board moving to that model, that streaming service model. And I think that will disadvantage um, game developers if the streaming service model actually takes hold in, in the industry. And there will still be, you know, Steam will, will still be selling full price games and making a good business of it. Like, just like I can still buy movies on Blu-ray if I want, but it is um, unquestionably not the, the same market that it was, you know, 10 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago. And, and, it's not the place where people are investing heavily to control that part of the market in the future. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because I'm going to be honest here. I actually didn't really consider the discover discoverability issue that, that you highlighted, uh, Brendan. Um, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, okay, that that's, that that's going to be maybe a problem, but I think Right now, I'm more, more focused and quite fascinated at how it seems like um, platform holders are having completely widely different strategy strategies. Sorry, um, as we're starting a new generation, and um, I'm curious to see if there's going to be any sort of answer from 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 Sony about this. But I weirdly, I don't know. I don't believe that. I don't believe that Sony is necessarily going to embrace a subscription service but i could also be completely wrong but i guess what i'm saying is i i think i i agree with with rebecca and i'm, I'm not as as worried um as i would be if if sony was also going that direction it seems to me that they're re-growing re- apart in their in their strategies but i mostly don't know what i'm saying um so <laughs> 
I guess I would add too that you know we're we're straying a little bit from the acquisition itself. I mean, th- this is we are we are talking specifically about Game Pass here, but you know the the acquisition has you know further implications than that. And I think to sort of lighten the worries about discoverability, you know, Game Pass is not something that games stay on permanently. I mean, you know, so, some games probably do. I I haven't really sat there and tracked you know over the years that Game Pass has been there, how many how many games have actually left Game Pass and how many have come in. I know it is growing, but I do think that one sort of cap on the discovery discoverability problem is going to be that the games will eventually leave Game Pass. Um, and so it's, it's maybe not quite as bad, though maybe still a problem. But I think to sort of tie it all together, what's interesting to me about this acquisition is that now Microsoft seems to have kind of a foothold on three of the major like AAA publishers that are not platform holders, right? So they've acquired Bethesda ZeniMax. Um, they have EA Play attached to Game Pass now. So they have like this, you know, very strong connection with games from EA. And then... It's a little more tentative with Ubisoft, but, you know, they've been really heavily promoting Assassin's Creed on Xbox. Um, there seems to be kind of a closeness with Ubisoft um, in, in promoting their games alongside Xbox. So even though there's not, like, actually a specific deal going on there that I'm aware of, um, Ubisoft games are are kind of intrinsically part of sort of the Xbox ecosystem, right? Um, so they've got they've got sort of feelers in three AAA publishers, like like the, the three big publishers that show up to E3 with conferences. Well, I guess Bethesda will just be in Xboxes now. Um, but the, the ones that show up to E3 with big presentations, all of them are like sort of hanging out around Xbox now. And that's that's very interesting to me in how it sort of expands the ecosystem and makes Microsoft kind of the place to go for, I guess, really all of these Western big publishers and their games, right? Mm. I think it's also quite interesting because I think this deal comes at a very good time for Bethesda as well because I feel like they've been a bit, I don't know, maybe in a bit of trouble, especially PR-wise, since since the release of Fallout 7 to 6, really, and I feel like they've been trying to redeem themselves since, and I feel like for them as well, on the other side, being part of Microsoft is potentially going to be quite a needed boost, Um yeah. yeah, I agree. And especially for properties like, oh, Dishonored and Prey, right? Like, though, Dishonored, okay, so Dishonored and, and Prey, both, and Dishonored 2, all three of those are really good games. Like, I, I have dabbled in all three of them. They're really fantastic. They were critically praised. Um, but if I, if my understanding is correct, none of them made, like, you know, piles of money, right? Like, they didn't sell, you know, double digit million copies. They weren't, like, you know, they weren't like smashing records or anything. And so I think there's sort of been this question hanging in the air of will those IPs get to continue? What about like Evil Within, maybe in that category as well? Um, and so with Microsoft money behind them, and also, you know, kind of with the advantage of Game Pass as well, they don't, they don't have to be blockbusters. They can just be really good games. And there's sort of more of an incentive to keep them going, maybe. Yeah, it, it- yeah, I think you're right, yeah. It definitely helps um, sort of expand the format of, of games um, that, that could be sort of um, viable, uh, I, I guess. Um, like with, with the acquisition of Double Fine, uh, that was largely seen as like, okay, well, we like the games these people make. People like their games. They might not actually wind up selling that well, but if we can put that into our Game Pass that that adds value to the service makes people maybe think like, okay, I, I would subscribe to this cause that's part of it. Help put them over the edge there. Um, and it's, 
I, I think like the arcane games um, kind of fall into that. The immersive simulation genre is not a massive blockbuster genre, but it definitely has like a a uh, a set of fans that are very interested in in games that come out. So it makes financial sense for Microsoft to to maybe bankroll those games and have them be part of the, their service specifically in the same way that Netflix can, you know, have, have a series that is six episodes long or, you know, here's something that is 45 minutes, one episode and an hour 15, the next, even though like, just because there weren't other places where people could make that kind of content and have it be financially viable really. So in that, in that way, there is a, a, a boost to the um, to the sort of I guess some of the some of the types of, of projects that can be uh, bankrolled at, at larger budgets and, and still have some value to the company without it being such a huge risk. I would also say property wise, and I so okay, so I don't want to cannibalize another podcast, um, but I did get to go on Axe of the Blood God over at US Gamer, which you should go listen to. It's awesome, um, and, and talk about this specifically in terms of how it impacts RPGs. And kind of a, one really interesting point that came out of this discussion that I think is worth mentioning here as well um, is that so now they have Elder Scrolls and Fallout, right? Like they have two of the biggest Western RPG franchises out there, and they already have Obsidian doing Avowed, and they have Fable, and then they have, like, I don't know, whatever In Exile's doing. Um, so what, one point that I think Kat Bailey brought up over there that was really interesting is that conceivably, if Microsoft wanted to, you know, starting here in, like, a year or two, they could start launching a massive open-world RPG basically every single year from a different one of their studios and just keep them rolling. Um, which is, is fascinating to me because kind, kind of the two genres that have become like, I don't know, just sort of like the generic genres for AAA video games, right? Um, well, I, I, I guess three. So the, there's like FPS, there's action adventure, and then there's, um, open world RPG. Like those are the two, three that, you know, make the, the big, the big bucks. Um, so. I don't know, okay, maybe there's more than that. I'm now, like, you know, thinking of a million other things. Uh, but yeah, open world RPGs are a big deal. They se- they sell games. Um, and so that's that's conceivably a thing that could be part of their strategy here. It's, does Sony really have a whole lot to, to throw against that? I mean, on the open world front, there's, like, um, Horizon was open world, right? That's action-adventure. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not a Sony person. <laughs> Played a lot of their games. So I mean, I'm thinking about like Spider-Man and God of War, but that is this really open world? Because they're open world action adventure games, and it's sort of like like they're yeah. going to get from Ubisoft, anyways, right? And, and third party yeah. uh, platforms. But I'm I'm I guess struggling to to think of open world. Uh, RPG makers now that are that are just like free and available to, to make games for PlayStation. Um, I mean, I guess okay, uh, CD Projekt Red if they wanted to make a Witcher. Yep. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. 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 Are you um, going to wait? I guess seven, fourteen years or something if they're alternating yeah, right. between Cyberpunk and that. <laughs> or, there's also, I guess, whatever whatever Square Enix is doing with because like, they have like all the JRPGs, right? Which are you know not not op- not open world by necessity, but can be. Um, I, I do, we don't really know what Final Fantasy 16 is. Um, Bioware? 
they could do something. Yeah, um, Larian Studios, I guess. Yeah, Maybe, kind well, of. Yeah, Larian. Larian's yeah, great. No, that's a good example. Yeah, Larian's amazing. Yeah. Sure. So there's, there's some other ones out it, there. But. It's. Yeah, but it's interesting because that, that actually reminds me of a chat when I did an interview with um, Ben Dynamco's European boss uh, a few months ago, and we actually chatted about that, about how there's actually more and more a lack of big studios available to work on all sorts just because they keep being acquired by Microsoft mostly. But um, that in, in Europe, there's not that many big studios anymore that are actually available and can either be acquired or hired to work on all sorts of projects. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, it definitely increases this sort of growing gap, right, between massive AAA and, like, you know, indie, right? I mean, that gap was already there, Bethesda was already making AAA games, but it, it definitely feels like sort of a, a hollowing out of the space between, right? Yeah, consolidation's a big... Um... I mean, it's it's a trend in a lot of industries right now, and we we just got done, you know, looking at the will they or won't they about WB selling um, uh, Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment, Mortal Kombat to to one of the big players, um, and it's I I don't think it's a very good trend <laughs> overall. No, no, probably not. It's good for some of the acquiring companies, but uh, I, I, I don't think it's it's great when you have a handful of you know massively powerful companies in control of uh, so much of our culture and so much of what kind of you know gets to be uh, promoted and put out there uh, into our culture. And I'm basically just thinking about how Disney has acquired most of my childhood at this point. Yeah. It's it's hard I'm because it does now. seem like, like we mentioned before, it it does seem like it will potentially be good for some of the, the smaller teams within Bethesda, right? Like in some of the IPs that people really love. Like there there are benefits to the studio being acquired here as well. They're not, you know, they're not just sort of doing it and it's going to be 1,000% miserable for everyone involved. But but you're right, like, like consolidation... It's worrisome, right? Like you, you see, you see these, like, there's a lot of interviews out there where, you know, studios that have been acquired by Microsoft say, you know, like, oh, well, we were, you know, we were able to keep all of our studio culture and really, you know, they just support us and it's really great and we're basically the same as we were before. It's just, you know, now we've got Microsoft's backing behind us and so we're a little more stable. And that's great. Like, I love that. That makes me really happy. And I've heard that refrain enough times that either it's true or Microsoft has really, really good PR pressure put on a lot of people at once. Um, <laughs> But, but you know, it's still, it's still, I don't know, I just don't know, big, big companies getting bigger, I don't, I don't know, it's just, it's just worrisome. Yeah, it's, it's really weird, I started, like, like, before we jumped on the podcast, I was like, I don't know, I'm quite excited about this whole Microsoft thing, and I don't even really know why I really care about it, because I'm not really a Microsoft person, and I don't really play Cinemax games, so, uh, but I was quite positive about this whole thing, and now I'm starting to think that maybe not. So <laughs> that's that, I guess. But it is worrisome in, in, in various degrees. You, you're right. So, yeah, I don't know what I'm well, saying here. But <laughs> if we're, if we're, so, no, if we're, I mean, if we're out of things to say on ZeniMax, we can talk about another company that definitely is too damn big. 
Can I just add one thing about the Zenimax deal? It's like, I don't think we stressed enough how much money that was. Oh my god. <laughs> I it just is... want to point it out again that that's 7.5 billion. Like, Sony paid 229 million for Insomniac. Just want to put it out there. And the only, like, I was reading uh, Rob's article this morning and, like, I look around at a few things. And the only bigger deal in gaming is uh, when Tencent bought Supercell for 8.6 billion. Uh, but that's essentially the like Activision Blizzard Zenimax deal is essentially. I think Activision Blizzard yeah. was up there too. Uh, was it? Oh, I didn't find out that one. You're right. It might be actually. But yeah, there's there's not many. But it's big. It's not many bigger than. <laughs> yeah, there's not many. Yeah, I someone pointed, multiple people pointed out on Twitter that this is more than Disney paid for Star Wars. Yeah. Um, I guess. It makes sense because it, I mean, so it's multiple franchises, right? But like the, the kind of two, the, again, like Elder Scrolls and Fallout are the two absolutely huge ones. Um, you know, Elder, Elder Scrolls is absolutely massive and Fallout, um, is also really huge. I think especially in terms of like how people will like lose their minds over anything with Fallout attached to it. I mean, I think Fallout 76 kind of like dampened people's spirits a little bit, mm. but I remember when like Fallout 4 was first announced and how just absolutely wild everybody was about that and how much merchandise oh my gosh the yeah. fallout merchandise uh market must be like reasonably big right like that that's got to mean something too Absolutely. all the little uh vault boy bobbleheads um yeah <laughs> so yeah uh speaking of companies that are just way too dang big um kind of the other news this week that just sort of like came again like like the zenimax deal really came out of nowhere yesterday uh, Amazon announced a new cloud gaming service called Luna. Uh, so they've opened applications for early access in the U.S. Uh, for Fire TV, PC, Mac, and iOS through the web browser, which we're going to come back to that. Uh, it's opening uh, for an introductory price of $5.99 per month, which gives you access to the Luna Plus channel. Um, which it contains like a specific selection of games that are included in with the service. You can, you can just play them. You don't have to pay any extra to buy them like you do with Stadia. You just get the games. Um, and then later on, there's going to be other channels that will be made available for an additional fee. Uh, one channel that we already know is coming is a Ubisoft channel that will eventually include games like Far Cry 6, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Um, so you pay a little bit more and then you get access to a, a larger library. And it's like channels on a TV, right? Like you pay for the channel and you get the whole thing. Um, so this is, I thought this was really interesting. It's it's sort of a weird. This is like the third big player. I, I guess I guess Nvidia, but like kind of the third like really major uh, subscription service for cloud gaming going on right now, right? Um, so it's and it's walking this interesting middle line. Uh, so Stadia, you know, has its its subscription fee, but then on top of that, you have to pay for full priced games. Um, you get a few free titles under Pro, but you mostly have to pay for every single individual game you want, and then. XCloud is now bundled in with Xbox Game Pass, so you basically pay the one fee, and then you have access to literally everything. So this is sort of walking this like very interesting middle line, um, which I, I thought I thought it was an interesting pricing model that I hadn't like really considered sort of between the two. Um, and then the other kind of interesting thing about it is that it's specifically launching through the through the browser on iOS instead of something in the App Store, which uh, very neatly circumvents the current issues with uh, cloud gaming subscription services not being able to launch on the App Store because Apple has rules about that sort of thing. You have to submit every single game that you put on your cloud subscription service uh, through their App Store process in order to put your cloud service on the App Store. Or... Just avoiding that entirely. Or I'm sure if you just give them a 30% cut... Uh, 
of all your subscription revenue, they'll they'll be a little more friendly about it. Well, no, I mean they because th- that w- that was specifically the rule. Like they they won't even let you have they they will not let Microsoft have XCloud on their thirty percent cut or not. Yeah, and I, I, I they're they're requiring them to submit every single individual game through the App Store, which is absurd. I'm a little skeptical about that. Um, I mean, considering the amount of stuff that comes out on the App Store, anyways. The, the submission of every every single game in game cloud or whatever it it doesn't seem like that huge a deal to me um, but the thing about the Amazon uh, announcement that like my first reaction to it was basically just oh Amazon is going to try something in games again and then just kind of give up and memory hole it eventually because this this company like it has its 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 back end cloud services stuff amazon web services that that are established in games it has the amazon lumberyard engine that um that it based on on crytex engine i believe and that that seems like it's getting established in games but everything that they have tried to do to uh to reach frontline consumers in gaming has, has struck me as just being a complete mess. Um, they used to have like a, here's our subscription for a whole bunch of free to play games for your, for your phone. And we'll give you some of the, you know, free to play premium currency and stuff in each of them. And that went away very quickly. They, they were making mobile games for a while and then they stopped with that. And then they said, okay, we're getting into console and PC AAA games. And that has been a saga of its own. And every time that we try and talk to them about like, okay, well, let's, let's do an interview with someone who can speak to your overall gaming strategy. I'm, <laughs> I'm not even sure there's, there's a person with that, like in their job title or job requirements at that. There company. is. We looked him up. Hold on. <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. There, there, there may not have been in the past. Like it, it has just been, it has felt like a very haphazard, um, repeated attempts to, to establish itself in gaming, but without, without that, you know, like let's, let's burn our ships at the shore to keep us from, from withdrawing all in kind of commitment. Sorry, uh, it looks like Amazon's uh, vice president of games is Mike Frazzini. Okay, we should interview him. So, Mike, Mike Frazzini, uh, call us, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, okay, so I, I do, I do want to back up. I mean, I, I don't want to like, like harp on this. I do think that the, the whole cloud thing is, is significant um, for things like XCloud and Stadia. I think, I think it completely just puts, puts a absolute nail in your subscription service if the whole premise of your subscription service is you you open you open up the app you click on the game you want and then it opens and you just play it directly out of it i think it just completely decimates that if you have to open up the app click on it and then it takes you to an app store page where you have to download the game and then play it like that that's bullshit that completely like undermines the whole point of cloud gaming which is why people are upset about it like that that's why they're not doing that um running it through the browser is interesting um but to to your actual point, Brendan, I I think you're right. Um, I think Amazon is is like very half hearted about games. This the announcement of this should not have surprised me at all. The way it was carried out, it just 
this is the kind of thing, like, like with, I, I don't, I don't really have a great memory of what Stadia was doing kind of in the, I, well, I guess Stadia announced it, uh, GDC in what, 2018? 18, yeah, I think. Yeah, and that's a big deal. Like, they had a whole keynote at GDC and they announced it and they made a big deal out of it. Um, and xCloud has kind of been in beta for a while, but Microsoft has been doing a lot of work to, you know, amp it up and talk it up. And then I just got like a press release in my inbox, like, hey, we announced this. There was like a, a link to a logo asset. Um, and there wasn't a ton of information out there about it. Like, I managed to dig up a little more info by going and reading Engadget's article on it. Um, but like, they really just, it was almost like they didn't care. They just kind of threw it out there, like, all right, here's this. Yeah, whatever. Um, and, and that's, that's very in line with kind of their other efforts, right? Like, I, I've interviewed people, um, from Amazon Game Studios about both Crucible and New World now, and both times, I mean, New World gave me a slightly better answer on this, but both times I very much got the impression that there is kind of this weird, there, there are these studios, right, within Amazon that are making games. And they're making, they're trying to make good games, and they're, they're, you know, trying to do good work. But there's sort of this, like, massive parent Amazon, right, that doesn't really care. Um, it has, like, it, it, maybe it cares insofar as, you know, it wants them to exist and it wants to be in gaming, right? Like, it has that idea. But Amazon has so many resources at its disposal, right? Like, it has Twitch. It has, you know, the, Amazon itself, like, the platform. It has all this, like, marketing reach and all this power. Like, if Amazon really wanted to, like, blow up it, like, a subscription, a cloud subscription service and be like, hey, everybody, look at this thing we're doing. Everybody get on board with this. They could. They could, like, market the hell out of it and make it something, like, really exciting and appealing and get it into the hands of a bunch of, like, they, it's not even out yet. It's technically open to sign up for early access. Like, they totally could have gotten gotten this into the hands of a bunch of influencers um, and a whole bunch of press people and been like, hey, talk this shit up. Um, but they didn't. They just sort of like, like, like throwing out a piece of paper, like, here you go. All right. Um, and that, that's just very much been the attitude that I've gotten from Crucible and New World as well and like basically all of their gaming efforts. And it's just... It's kind of disappointing. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know how badly I want, you know, Jeff Bezos in, in video games. Like, he's already in everything else. I don't really think he necessarily needs to be bothering me in my video game world. But, like, I mean, if he's going to be there, like, come on, put forth an effort, guys. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely agree with everything you just said. It, it's really weird. Like, if it wasn't, like, part of my job to read the news I feel like I would have completely missed that just by scrolling on Twitter and stuff like that because like I literally saw it nowhere apart from obviously when I joined and like this morning and read the news and stuff but it did I didn't realize this was happening at all so it's partly parts to partly because of everything you just explained but I wonder if there's not already also a like subscription service and cloud thing of fatigue like is it already so common to launch your cloud services and subscription service that no one cares anymore because like honestly my first reaction to this news was like okay fine whatever another one i'm not gonna like uh, i tried stadia and it was such a disappointment to me that now i'm not approaching those things anymore i mean i am because i want to like understand how they work and the business behind it but as a consumer i'm not into this anymore it is not for me but then I actually saw the price, and to come back to what you were saying earlier, Rebecca, I think it's quite interesting how they position themselves here with this, like, a smaller catalogue at a smaller price and then subscri subscribing to channels. I'm quite actually interested by this. Not sure I will actually subscribe to anything, <laughs> but at least there's Not something, like... <laughs> I mean, it's just because I don't know if I'm really the target for that type of thing, to be honest. I think this type of services targets more people who are 
who don't necessarily have all the consoles and like don't really know which games they want to play and whereas I know exactly what I want to play and I have all the consoles so I don't think I'm the target I don't know I could be completely wrong here um but anyway all that to say that I don't know I don't know where this is going I'm interesting to see how they're going to develop this strategy I'm interesting to see how they're going to sell sell it in terms of marketing strategy because as you just highlighted this was the quietest launch not launch, but quite an announcement I've ever seen for such a service. Yeah, what marketing um, strategy? <laughs> yeah, like, where are you going with this? I'm really curious about where this is going. Uh, but also, maybe we don't need another subscription yeah. service, but that's just my personal Have you? Ha- have they said anything about um, how much that controller will cost? Uh Forty-nine. Uh, you know what? Actually, somebody somebody criticized us when we did a survey that we don't always check our sources when we're on the podcast because we're trying to speak off the fly. So I don't I don't want to just bullshit this. Okay. I think it's forty-nine ninety-nine, but I'm looking it up now. Yeah, yeah. It's what you wrote in the article, and I trust. Yes, forty-nine ninety-nine. Okay, so very self-conscious about that now. Thank you, whoever commented on that. <laughs> so so forty-nine ninety-nine is a um, like a upfront cost of admission. To get in and pay your six bucks a month. No. 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 It's optional. Oh, the control. Okay, so if you have your own Bluetooth, it's it's not like yeah, uh, keyboard and mouse and Bluetooth controllers all. Work. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That's. Uh... It's also also just want to throw this out there the the four ninety nine ninety nine for the controller and the five ninety nine per month for the actual service. Both of those are introductory prices. Um, very much implied in that press release that they're going to be upping the prices later. So, Mm -hmm. from my understanding, uh, Amazon has uh, sort of a thrifty corporate culture. And I think it's interesting to to compare the way they have tried to establish themselves in games versus the way Microsoft has had, has tried to, Um, where Microsoft was, has been throw money at it ever since like, you know, introducing the Xbox in 2001. Like they lost money with Xbox for years and years, and and now they're kind of doing the same thing with uh, Game Pass, you know, going out and and, and acquiring a seven point five billion dollar Bethesda deal it is largely, I think, a play for Game Pass. And Amazon, I mean, they they spent hundreds of millions of dollars to acquire Twitch. Uh, and I, I'm not sure if Twitch was really making money at the time, but that was outside of that. Like most of the stuff that they've done has seemed really, um, really modest in scale. Like they, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like they've wanted to risk losing much of anything in order to establish themselves in games. And, and that is, um, I, I think it's it just a, interesting contrast to the to the approach that we were just discussing with Microsoft. Yeah. I mean, to kind of continue to compare the two, I want to go back to what Marie was saying. Um, I think, yeah, there, there's like three, there's like three, four big subscription services out there right now for that have to do with cloud gaming. And there's even more that have to do with, you know, things that are not cloud gaming. Uh, there is a little bit of fatigue at this point. Um, but I think, I think, and I, I don't want to turn into just a giant Microsoft fangirl, even though, you know, I did apparently pre-order an S. Um, but I, I think that Microsoft has it right here, at least in the sense that they understand that they, they understand that they had a deficit of original content 
um, last last generation. Like they they really fell behind Sony in that, and I think they understand that, and that's what all these acquisitions have been. That's been okay. We want to we want to just like stuff Game Pass. We want to want to stuff our system with content to get people into our ecosystem, right? That makes sense. They understand that if they even if they have like the coolest service in the world, they're not going to be able to compete as well if they don't have exclusives, if they don't have timed exclusives, if they don't have, you know, like like something that gets people into their ecosystem as opposed to everyone else's. And I think that's where both Stadia and at least so far, Amazon have kind of failed, right? Like they they aren't coming out swinging with like, here is where you get this big game first and nowhere else, right? Um and and Stadia still does Stadia have any exclusives, like big exclusives? I don't think it does. No they sold the thing as um, like Baldur's Gate Three is going to be on it. Is was there? It's going to be on everywhere else too, it. right? But exactly, Baldur's Gate Three is going on every platform anyway. I mean, not every platform, oh. but as of now, like it's available elsewhere, is what I mean. So it, it is literally. I think I haven't checked in a bit because uh, I I haven't. But um, yeah, that was the big thing. At the like, I think they have a couple smaller exclusives, but nothing huge. With Stadia, they did the really weird move of uh, working on this for years. On, on the technology, deciding to go ahead with it, and then like announcing that they were establishing a AAA development studio to make Stadia exclusives, like oh yeah, that's just right. before the launch of the the thing, uh, just before yeah, the launch of the that, service. You know, so we're you, not gonna. Yeah, we haven't. We I didn't even remember. We haven't that. even had an announcement of of a Stadia um, like of their big first party exclusive AAA kind of level stuff. And that's we're not gonna for like another year or more, right? Like yeah, they, they've done some stuff like uh, a splash damages next game. I think uh, is Stadia timed exclusive. Um, but uh, yeah, so. it's but timed exclusive, right? Like I don't think any developer out there wants to have their game exclusively on stage. I don't know. Maybe I'm being mean, but yeah. But uh, but then Amazon has not done that either, and I know I'm obviously there's still time for them to do that. You know, they literally just announced yesterday. But how much of a difference would it have made if they had come out swinging yesterday and said, "Hey, here's our new thing. Here's a bunch of again, like here's a bunch of press people and a bunch of content creators who have already tried it and say that they really like it. You know, here's all their impressions of it, and here we are launching with you know." two or three, even even just, like, mid-sized exclusives, like, this is the only place you can get those games. Um, how much more of a difference would that have made if they had actually had some exclusives that people cared about? Now, granted, this is probably the worst time uh, to try to get game exclusives because all the big next-gen consoles are trying to get their exclusives, and so there's not as big a pool to go around, but... Did they even mention New World or uh, Crucible? No! I, I don't even think New World... They didn't even say... They didn't really give a great list of what was going to be on the service. Right, it was like, like a sizzle I had to reel. Kind of, yeah, and I didn't see. I, <laughs> uh, so again, I'm gonna ch- I'm gonna check my dang facts before you know, just to make sure. But I did not see either of their games. I mean, Crucible's free and Crucible's back in beta, uh, so there's that. But I did not see New World on there, and New World's a premium game. Like it, it would be forty dollars normally. Uh, looking on here, looking on here. Nah, I I do not see it. Weird. Nope. That does not yeah. that does not strike me as like a uh, an operation where all of its disparate uh, gaming interests are collaborating or working together towards a unified strategy in in the way that uh, for example Microsoft is. Yeah, no, absolutely not. 
well, uh, that was a big week. Um, but that's that's probably about where we should stop for today. Uh, you can always go back and listen to previous episodes of this podcast on all good podcasting platforms. Once you're on that good podcasting platform, consider subscribing so it'll let you know whenever another episode appears. Um, you can also get, uh, by subscribing to whatever that feed is, you can get uh, our two bonus podcasts um, coming out once a month each. Uh, the podcast from my colleague James Batchelor called The Five Games Of, where he uh, talks to industry figures about five of their uh, milestone games. And the Game Developers Playlist, which is a new uh, podcast that I'm working on where I talk to developers about games they did not make that inspired and informed their work. Um, so yeah, uh, consider subscribing to those, and you can and should get your daily dose of news and insight into the world behind games at gamesindustry.biz. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Minimal Nintendo I talk. I fumbled that closer a little bit, but James can get over it. <laughs> you hear that, James? You can get over it. <laughs> <laughs>